Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Don't Eat Your Young. I'm your host, Beth Quas. I'm excited to have a guest back that's been here before. Uh, Natalie Deitri is going to join us today. She is going to talk to us. She has a new story. She's had a lot of developments, and she's going to talk to us today about what it's really like to be a patient when you're a healthcare worker. Uh, it's a difficult place to be in, and she's going to share some insight and her journey with us. So please welcome Natalie. Natalie, it is so nice to have you back on Doni Ear Young. How are you? Hi, Beth. I am doing pretty well. I'm pretty good. Thanks. Well, we... I'm glad to be back. We have a lot to unpack in this episode because you have had some major shifts in your life and I'm excited for you to share your story today. So the last time we talked, you were talking about your CareerWise Nurse per podcast and um, we talked a lot about that and your teaching and education. And what have you been doing now since we recorded last? Well, I launched my podcast career-wise nurse last summer so just over a year ago and it really is about nurses getting help along the way to launch grow and thrive and I realize one of my major messages is you have to make the work fit in your life instead of having your life try to fit around your job and that is really what I realized from the work I did in 2022 as a hospital educator I left my job. It was oncology focused, but it was really a lot about hospital problems. And it was great to see new nurses coming in, in and all the challenges of hospital life and how important those jobs are. Of course, it's very important. It's a great place to learn, but it's very challenging. So I left that job about a year and a half ago and I focused on the podcast, focused on family life here at home, my teenagers, my husband, my dog and figuring out what I wanted to do next. So we got into 2023 and I had the opportunity to become an on-site clinical trials monitor. My former director from several years ago was leading an organization where they, they use on-site monitors. So I said, yes, I'd like to be a monitor. I didn't exactly know what the role was about, but I knew that I could use my background in oncology as a nurse and my experience having been a clinical trials coordinator, where I was the nurse talking to the patient in the office or at the hospital about the clinical trial. These are phase three trials where somebody might be getting the standard of care plus something or placebo with the standard of care. So I, I had a positive experience being a clinical trials coordinator several years ago. And this opportunity that came up in 2023 to be an on-site monitor I started that job and that got me into this year. What does it mean to be a monitor? What are you monitoring? So you go out to the sites where the clinical trials are being done and you will verify source documents. So Epic or the electronic health records against what the people at the site and by site, I mean the doctor's office or the cancer institute that a hospital might have that serves patients who are seen by doctors in that institute or that health system. So we verify source documents. And that would mean making sure that the people 
in the offices at the site, I said, enter the information correctly into the, the electronic data capture for the clinical trials database. I think that work sounds fascinating, actually. And for any nurses looking to do something a little different, this is something I didn't even know about. So thank you for sharing that. You know, I don't only work with nurses. Some people have a background in lab, laboratory medicine, lab technology, data, and they we all have this monitoring role. And we're out there supporting the sites through the, the qual data quality like oversight that we do, the monitoring, and be, as being a resource on a daily basis for questions they have about the trial. I have a lot of support from the organization where I'm under contract, the people that essentially hired me. And, but I'm still seeing a lot of what goes on on a daily basis in terms of questions or questions from the site or from centrally the study sponsor or the study leads getting clarification at the site. So everything is done according to the protocol. And I'm learning about the process of all that goes into monitoring still. And because you are, you have worked in oncology, you're kind of back doing that again, you're kind of at the forefront of what's going on in cancer research and treatment. Yeah, uh, I am, I am seeing trends in terms of these trials that are going on and the ones that I particularly work on are breast cancer. And that's what I spent a lot of time working on over the years is seeing patients with breast cancer, treating them. And my clinical trials work several years ago also was focused in breast cancer. So from my remote experience way back a few years ago, I know that the trials that go on that enroll many women can lead to changes in standard of care for cancer treatment. And so that was the really positive takeaway I had from being a clinical trials coordinator many years ago. That was a nursing role. There's a lot of nurses that are the study nurses in these different offices and hospitals where they conduct clinical research. They basically implement the studies that are made to compare the standard of care to something else. And so with all that work you've done, and focusing on breast cancer, well, you have a different story to tell about all of that. It hit very, very close to home. Yeah, so I had the opportunity, I don't, it wasn't a privilege, but I became a patient this year. And I'll just say right up front that being a nurse, even more specifically an oncology nurse, it didn't really, it didn't prepare me for what I went through. How do you even unpack all of the knowledge that you had with a new diagnosis? How did you even deal with that? Well, what I'll just give a little, a short overview, a short summary of how this started. Because what I realized through this entire journey was there wasn't really a nurse to explain things to me along the way. So I realized there aren't nurses in those places where I was going through screening and diagnostics. So I would not have known what it was like to be in those places along the way 
getting a mammogram or an ultrasound or an MRI of the breast or an MRI guided biopsy. I wouldn't know that from my work experience because the nurses aren't there. It's the doctor and a tech. And so nothing there would have prepared me for going through the actual experiences. So February, I had a screening mammogram once a year, but I got called back and they did some more you know, specific images, took some specific pictures, and I needed to get a biopsy as a result of what was found in the recall mam mammography. So the biopsy was negative for cancer, but it was high-risk tissue. And I was told, go to a surgeon because this needs further evaluation. But what I really heard is it's benign, but it's high-risk tissue. Go see a surgeon. And I'm thinking they're going to cut out that area around there because it's high-risk tissue. Well, that was probably true. But when I saw the surgeon... I was ordered to get an MRI of the breast to look for anything else that was going on. So that's a little alarming. And I was told, this is your risk of having a cancer and the reasons why. And it was a little higher than the one in eight that you hear from the American Cancer Society or something out there about women's chance of getting breast cancer over their lifetime. And so I did the MRI and I got the results and it just led to one thing and another. But what I realized is I didn't even know the process for going through a screening and diagnostic workup when they suspect high-risk tissue or something abnormal versus something benign. That had to be scary and the fact that you now have uncovered a gap where nurses could have helped you out and they weren't there for you um how did you continue on well so the nurses weren't there i don't know what they would have done there because when you go get a mammogram you know it's the mammography tech who does it and if it's a screening mammogram, you do your views, the different views on both sides, and you're done. You leave. If it's a diagnostic mammogram, they do the pictures and you wait. Because the first time I had my mammogram, it was a screening. You take your pictures, you leave. And something popped up in my portal app on my phone the next day or two, like a day or two later after the screening mammogram. And I saw it through an alert on the phone. And I knew right away they were calling me back. So I scheduled the appointment and it was like four days later. So as quick as I could get it. And in the meantime, I called someone I knew who had been a breast navigator and I asked her questions because I'm trying to find information. And this is where being a nurse, having worked in oncology and in having worked where I was getting my screening mammograms for as long as I've had them, 
or knowing someone I could call at another hospital in my community to ask questions because I've never been recalled. That's what they call it, a recall, to go back and get a closer look. And it was only on one side that they wanted to get a closer look because my sense of alarm, you know, I was alarmed just because I got the recall notification and I called right away to schedule. I was looking for information. What does this mean? I, I can't imagine waiting for all of that. That had to have been terrifying. And so you got your second diagnostic screening and then what? So it was benign. I went to the surgeon, like recommend the recommendation was from the person who gave me the results of that biopsy. Cause I had, I had the diagnostic mammogram, got the biopsy the next week fast. I couldn't wait for anything. If I had the screening mammogram on Monday, I had the recall on Thursday or Friday, and then I had my biopsy the next Tuesday. Well, Wednesday morning, I got the phone call that it was benign, but you need to go see a surgeon. And then I could look in my app for the health portal for that healthcare system, and I could see the report because, you know, you can see everything right away Mm -hmm. now. Yep. And it took about five weeks from the time I had the biopsy until I saw the surgeon. So at first I didn't call to make my surgery appointment right away. I was trying to decide where to go and to see how long it would take to get that appointment. But I like to share the timeline because from the time I had the screening mammogram until I saw the surgeon, it was about six weeks, but then I needed to get the MRI of the breasts and that took three weeks. So it was two months in from screening mammogram to MRI. I didn't have any known cancer, but they were suspicious. So I was nervous and I was distracted. And it was early this year and I was trying to do a new job. So I wasn't very into my job, even though I didn't have a known problem. I had some things that needed to be explored, some screening to do. But my job was work from home and it involved traveling to the sites. And I was just training and we were trying to get trained for a new study that was gonna open. So I didn't have anyone that I was working for sites to go to. So things were ramping up slowly in the work, which was good because I was getting distracted by what I would say could have been a problem, could become a problem because I've never had any recalls on mammogram. So I'll speed up a little bit because it did, things did accelerate. I had the MRI in April and the next morning I saw the report. No one called me. Oh, I mean, no one, it released in the portal the next morning as soon as the radiologist read it. So I don't remember getting called by anyone, but I probably tried to call and schedule what needed to be done next once I read that MRI of the breast report. So we get portal release releases of reports rather quickly. And the people that are in the offices, whether it's women's imaging where you get a mammogram or an MRI or ultrasound of the breast or the breast surgery office, whoever is supposed to call you, they're busy taking care of how many patients in a day so they don't 
get to call me until the end of the day or their their offices are busy. So they have a queue of what they're doing. So it took a while to get, you know, to get in touch with an office or to get scheduled for something because the MRI report said this area needs to be biopsied. That's the recommendation. And on that was on one side. And on the other side, there was another area that was suspicious that needed to be biopsied. So I get this result from the MRI of the breast that I had the day before, and I'm reading it, and I just remember feeling sunk. It was a Thursday morning. It was April. And the journey was continuing, and I was stressed because I have to have biopsies because there's suspicious areas found on the MRI of the breast. I was getting pretty used to the stress of the unknown and I didn't really use my nursing brain and start reading things because I didn't think that would be helpful. Right. So I really go ahead. Do you think, and how do you answer this? You're a nurse, you have the knowledge. Do you think it's harder to be a patient because you're a nurse or do you think a patient that doesn't know how to navigate the system or understand what they're up against is more difficult? I know that's hard. What is your opinion on that, I guess? Well, when I, so I had biopsy, a biopsy in May. So it took about three weeks from the time I got the MRI results that said this area is suspicious and should be biopsied. So I got the biopsy done. And a few days later, I got the call back from the doctor who did the biopsy under MRI guidance. And it was the end of the day. It was 10 to 5. And she said, we are the worst patients. Because (laughs) she knew what I, that I was an oncology nurse. We're the worst. She said, you just have to let someone take care of you. But of course, when she called me and she said it did come back as an invasive ductal carcinoma, I said, I just need a minute. I just need a minute. And I sort of panicked and I said, we have another healthcare crisis in our family that's been going on for a while. So I'm not ready to handle this right now. And I said, I just need a minute. And I literally put the phone down and just, I needed a minute. And then I said, okay, you know, what, what are you going to tell me? And she gave me the info and from the biopsy result. And I was like, oh, this really is terrible. But right away, I called the surgeon's office and I scheduled an appointment with them that week so they could get me in three days later to see the surgeon because now that I know that something came back as a cancer, I have to get more information. And that is probably the nurse in me. And it was a coping mechanism that I developed or a skill that I used a lot because the unknown is the worst thing, good information or bad information. Something is there or it's not. However you want to phrase the good and bad. Just give me the information. But when I don't know and I have to wait weeks, days or weeks, whatever it is, to get information, that is the hardest 
part that right. is really hard. It's, it's very hard to to sit with that feeling. Mm-hmm. I think probably one of the benefits of being in healthcare is that we have an understanding of how to navigate the system where someone that is not um, can get lost in the system or not even know where to go next. So you at least knew to call a surgeon and now you've met with the surgeon and what is your plan moving forward? So I, they, she went over all the information, sort of like the first appointment where I had the benign report and I was going to the see the surgeon because the first biopsy in February from the mammogram, you know, said, go to a surgeon. So I, I saw the surgeon a second time and we had the MRI results. And then we, I saw the surgeon not after the MRI results, after the biopsy results that showed cancer. So this was three months from my first screening mammogram, the regular screening mammogram that we, I get every year. Three months later, the biopsy showed cancer. So it takes time to get information. And then the surgeon gives me the whole presentation, lots of explanation, as if I didn't know anything. But that's what I wanted. Right. And I had my husband there with me. And I wanted him to be able to understand what was going on. But waiting from the time I got the call that the biopsy done for suspicious findings on MRI. Waiting from that time, three days to go see the surgeon was really hard. And I guess I thought to call the surgeon right away, right away the office to get an appointment because how was I going to wait any longer to get information? And when I read my pathology report, because again, it was in the portal, released, that looked familiar to me in terms of the components of the pathology report from my work. So when I looked at a pathology report, I finally felt some familiarity with what information is on the document. And just to read it over and to be able to process that, even though I didn't know yet what it meant, you know, it was helpful compared to not knowing and just waiting and thinking about all the possibilities in my head. So as you're going through everything, how how was it hard being a nurse as a patient? And how was it easier as a nurse being a patient? Well, it was, I really had on my patient hat the whole way through because I said I didn't meet nurses. So I would have never worked in one of these roles where you go get a mammogram. Now you need to get a biopsy. You need to get an MRI of the breast and then you need a biopsy. I didn't meet nurses in any of those places. And so I was relying on the people who were I, who I was encountering to educate me on what was going on, about what to expect with the process. Not only what to expect with the procedure or the process, but what to expect afterwards. When am I going to get results? The things that we do as nurses to help people be reassured or to know the plan. You know, that was what I was really seeking because I wanted to know when was I going to get information because me as the patient, I need information. And probably because I'm a patient who needs to know what in the world's going on because I I have a lot of background in 
cancer and I wanted to know what what's my deal. But I needed people to tell me what the plan was so that I wasn't wondering when was I going to get a call. Do you think your family, were you overwhelmed with trying to reassure your family that everything was going to be okay? Well, my daughter, my oldest daughter said to me, basically, you know enough just to be dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) And, and because I was really having the patient hat because I'd never been in these situations to know what it's like from my work as a nurse. But it was helpful to be a nurse because I could make sense of the pathology report. I mean, there's not a lot of information on the pathology report from a biopsy that was done under MRI guidance because it's a tiny bit of tissue. Same thing for the first biopsy in February from what was abnormal on mammogram. I had a stereotactic stereotactic guided biopsy in February and then the MRI guided biopsy of the suspicious area in May. So that's about three months apart. The pathology report, I could make sense of it, but there's not a lot of info because these pieces of tissue are really small and just preliminary. I don't know fully the extent of the cancer in May when I found out it's a cancer. I I didn't know how, how big it was. No one did. They could, they had visualization with ultrasound. They had the information from MRI, the MRI of the breast, but no one knew until I went to surgery. So as soon as I had a biopsy that showed cancer in May, three months into this journey of screening and diagnosis, we're making a plan for surgery. They do know it's a small tumor. We're making a plan. The surgeon was very good at explaining everything. And she brought in a nurse, a nurse navigator, who was able to explain a little bit more about the whole surgery process, getting ready for surgery in terms of what I need to do, other appointments, like seeing the physical therapist to get assessed for getting measured so they can have a baseline in case I would need to be assessed for lymphedema after surgery down the road, Mm -hmm. things like that. So it was a little more comprehensive because that's what a nurse navigator does, the breast cancer nurse navigator or the breast health nurse navigator. So now a nurse enters the picture in the doctor's office, the breast surgeon's office, because that's their job. And it's part of a breast cancer program that hospitals want Mm -hmm. and have to have a breast cancer navigator on staff. And that nurse was very powerful in terms of the resources she provided it. And I mean, my husband doesn't work in healthcare and he said she has a powerful role, that breast cancer navigator. So I really realized, I realized the value of that person. And she was always available to answer questions for me from the time I met her when I knew I had a cancer and was going to have surgery going forward. But I went through three months of screening diagnosis where there's no role for a nurse in the hospitals that I was at, the the offices or the physician groups I was at, who are my providers. And I don't know that there would be a role, except that I was navigating all by myself. I, I think where I do my screenings at the facility that I go to, they do have nurses and nurse practitioners there and they ask you, do you have any concerns that you would like to speak to a nurse or a nurse practitioner for? And I think that is now looking at what you've been through, that's kind of invaluable. So if there are any concerns, you do have the ability to talk to someone that day. Now, 
I've never utilized that because I haven't had any concerns, but for other people that may come in, it may be very beneficial to have just that first touch point early on. And I didn't know, I mean, you've shared that there's someone there or they ask you, would you like to speak to a nurse? I didn't know any different besides I didn't come, I didn't come to expect a nurse would be in the mammography suite or at either hospital. Cause I had something done at one place and then more done at the other. But when I said I called someone I knew that was previously a breast cancer navigator in the very beginning, when I got called back for a second look mammogram, I knew because I was a nurse and because of my work in the past, who to call to try to get information. So being a nurse helped me right away to try to get info. But when I was actually living the experience, I had to search out the information on my own. I really love to hear how your organization, where you go, those providers or that system gives you the opportunity to connect with someone that who's there to teach you and help you know the plan, even in the face of unknown conditions they're there for you that is really good to know right right so you decided to take your experience and talk about it very freely and talk to us about what you are doing now in sharing your journey well I realized that nothing could prepare me to be a patient not my work as a nurse, not any doctor and not a friend or family member that going through it was an experience like nothing I could have prepared for. And I wanted to share my experience because, because of what it is. So others might know what it's like when, because you never know when you're going to encounter something like this yourself as the listener or as the friend or family member of someone going through to be the friend or family member of someone going through this. So I created a podcast called breast cancer life. And it really is from the patient point of view. It has nothing to do with being a nurse. It's about my experience going through the screening and diagnostic process. What were some of the biggest surprises to you as a patient going through this process? What are some of the things that you want other people to know about that may help them? A few realizations that I had, and I hope that, I think that these things, others might find them helpful. So at some point I realized this is my emergency Once I knew that there was a a cancer, a small cancer in there that needed to be removed and I was going to go to surgery, of course, that really consumed my brain, my headspace. Things would go in my head and just not go away. And it would be one specific thought and then another. But I realized at some point there in May, three months into this whole journey of screening diagnosis, that this is my emergency. And when I was waiting for information from the offices, calls to schedule the next procedure, or when is surgery going to be, or what else 
do I need to do to be ready to go to surgery as soon as possible? That this is my emergency and everyone in the offices is busy doing their job. This is my, my emergency. And so they're busy doing their job, but I'm home waiting for information and that's really hard. So I had to learn to cope with that. So first I realized this is my emergency. No one else's, this is mine. And really it's not an emergency. So the other realization I had in the weeks after I found out that I did have a small cancer is that I'm not sick. I don't stop doing what I do. I should continue to exercise. I know after surgery, I'm not going to be able to do my usual activities for a period of a few weeks. So, so I need to keep moving. I'm not sick. I still have work to finish from the job that I started this year for the current project that I was working on in May. I had work to do. And that work turned out to be really good to distract me from all the thoughts in my head or from didn't give me space for those thoughts to creep into my head when I was focused on work. You are a strong person to come to that realization because, well, I can't imagine how I would react or someone else, but it's hard to believe that a person could get a diagnosis of cancer and tell themselves, I'm not sick. It's time to move on. I think that's very powerful. Well, I was healthy. I was healthy. I just had a little storm brewing in my breast is what I said. This is the other thing that since we've been talking, that amazes me. Every time you've talked about the cancer or the tumor, you've referred to it as small or little. And I think, wow, that's incredible because I think if I saw that I had cancer, it would consume me. And you didn't allow that to happen. Well, Beth, it did consume me. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't being very productive in my work. And I, I said, we were waiting for, things were ramping up slowly with my job. So I had space to just let that stop and kind of go on hold. And I communicated with the people I work for and people covered the things that were going on that were part of what I had been asked to do. And then, but I did take a pause from, let's say like late May until really the middle of July. And I just said, here, I'm going to be back in this time at some point after surgery. So I wasn't super organized in my thoughts about how to prepare for surgery, but I knew I needed some time. And I, I got it. I had to get a grip on things because I did get tearful at times and it was a lot to think about because even though I knew I had a cancer, I didn't know the extent of it. How, what was the actual size of the tumor? Was it in the lymph nodes? Those things were unknowns. And so I would get emotional at times. And we went away over Memorial Day weekend to the beach. I live in the DC area and the Delaware beaches are a couple hours away. So we had the chance to go to a friend's beach house and spend the weekend away with our family and friends. And at night I would get emotional and I don't know that my husband even really realized, but then I just said to myself, what am I afraid of? 
you know, it just came to me, what am I afraid of? And I knew that at first I was afraid of dying Mm -hmm. when I first got the call that it was a cancer. But then I realized, I mean, that was a big thing, right? I don't want to die. But then I realized after a few weeks of trying to process this, you know, I'm not going to die this year. I'm not going to probably die next year. Or I probably won't die in two years or five years. I mean, I don't want to be sick. And I wasn't even thinking about that. All I could think about is I don't want to die. But then I figured it out. I'm not going to die right now. So it just helped me to get a grip on the situation. Wow. That's, I just can't imagine how helpful that would be for someone to hear that is also going through this because your outcome is not decided yet. You don't know, and you just have to keep going. Yep. You're right. That's incredible. So how are you doing today? Well, I, it's been great to go through this whole experience and to share with you because sometimes I forget that I have ever forget everything I went through because I get busy with the day. And that's good because a couple months ago, I couldn't take it off my mind. It came up many times in the day, or my day was focused on what I need to do to get ready for surgery. So now I'm pretty good. I'm fully recovered from my surgery. In fact, I'm back to all my usual activities, sort of rebuilding from the time I didn't do a lot after surgery. And I'm working. And it's taken me a while to really get into my job. I didn't I mean, I had coverage when I was not working in the time right around surgery before and after, but now I'm really happy to have that work. And I love supporting the sites that I'm assigned to because they're helping people be on clinical trials, people with breast cancer in the case of the studies I'm working on. And it's, it's, um, it keeps me busy. It occupies my mind. It can suck me in sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I've had some serious challenges learning how to work all the software systems that go into a clinical trial. It's much more than when I was a clinical trials coordinator several years ago. And even though I can work a computer, I can surf whatever, search things out, all these sites and how they play together in one study and what I need to do to be a resource, it's been really hard. So it's good because now I've sort of turned the corner and I know I can do this. I get a sense of it all. But when I was distracted by my personal emergency, my healthcare crisis, my crisis that I've worked through and gotten through, I couldn't really tackle that. So I sort of had to start over to get familiar and fluent with everything I needed to do. And I have somebody helping me be trained now in a little more detail than I had initially. So I'm in a good place. I have something that is productive where they need workers and I have knowledge and background to support the work. But I did doubt myself. I did doubt myself sometimes. Could I do this work? 
And I think I was a little, I'm sure I was a little strained in terms of my resilience and my ability to focus. So it was a lot coming at me and I feel like I've really turned the corner. I feel good, healthy. I still have days where this whole breast cancer experience takes up space in my head. And one of the oncologists that I know that I saw right away when I got the diagnosis talked about the emotional roller coaster or the the trauma trauma to your psyche going through the biopsies, whether it's cancer or not, the what if right that I had going on February, March, April into May for three months. Doesn't matter what time of year, what season of the year. That time when you're going through the unknowns, getting biopsies, getting images, getting information, waiting, that is very traumatic to your psyche. So that oncologist, that was one of the first things he said, this is not going to affect your longevity, but the toll on your psyche, I said, it's a roller coaster that I've been on. And do you think telling your story on your podcast, uh, Breast Cancer Life, is helping you? Is it cathartic? Yes, it is. Because I want people to know what the experience is like, what my experience was. So that they, 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 I just want to share it because so many people are going through this experience. Right. I've met other people since I had my biopsies that have had cancer and they're living life strong, appear strong and healthy. But That's now incredible. I, I, um, now I'm not so focused on the breast cancer because I've recovered from my surgery. I, I think about some of the things that are different now, just because I have more information. And one thing I'm doing to really help myself is just getting more exercise to help with those stress chemicals in the brain. Mm-hmm. And it allows me to focus better when I'm working and do every, with everything I do in my life, it helps me to get that exercise. I've really reprioritized that. I was exercising before, but now I just have added in more time and it's the start of my day. So I don't really start working until the middle of the day because I'm not going to skip my self-care to do work for others. That's excellent advice for anyone exercise self-care we all need to get there it's hard it's hard i know it for sure but that is great advice and so are you still continuing now with your uh career-wise nurse podcast as well i do i do still have career-wise nurse podcast episodes coming out not as often they are there and they will continue and breast cancer life is launching at this time. So it really starts with the screening and diagnostic journey. And I wanted to share my information all along my screening and diagnostic journey in my life around me with friends and neighbors, family, because I wanted them to be informed along my journey. But then I also, in my podcast, Career Wise Nurse, I had 
a multi-part series on the nurse becoming the patient. So if anyone wants to hear about my journey, nurse to becoming a patient, career-wise nurse has all those episodes already published. And I will also be releasing in the Breast Cancer Life podcast, my screening and diagnostic journey. And the Career-Wise Nurse podcast is for nurses. Breast Cancer Life podcast is really from my patient perspective. I cannot wait to listen to that. I appreciate you sharing your story because I know it's going to help so many people. Like you said, even if you're not the patient, you're the family member, you're the person treating those patients. I think it's very important for you to get that information out. I remember working with people who had breast cancer or any cancer. I was giving their chemotherapy in one of my jobs I had a few years ago. And I wasn't thinking about what it must be like for them to live with breast cancer. I was busy doing all the tasks that made up my workday or all the tasks that were involved in giving someone their chemotherapy regimen. There's so many drugs you give as pre-meds. You might give one, two, or three chemo drugs. They each have a specific way they're given. It's a full menu of tasks to do for each individual that you see in a day. Yes, I really enjoyed most of the people that I took care of, and everybody was unique. Their story was unique, and they shared their experiences. But as a nurse, with my nursing hat on, I wasn't thinking about all the details of what they might be experiencing as a person with cancer. Mm-hmm. So now I can say what I have experienced being the person with cancer. It's yeah. definitely a unique lived experience that no one can prepare you for. Well, I am so glad that you're doing well now and that you are able to share your story. I hope everyone goes out to find your podcast and listens to it. I just so that it helps give them a little bit of knowledge on what people go through and potentially what they may go through at some point as well. One of my thoughts that I can share that came up early on when I was having the mammograms was we screen to find things that are abnormal. That's why we go for a screening mammogram on whatever schedule you're on for your mammogram, based on what you and your healthcare provider agree on, we screen for abnormalities. If nothing was going to come up as an abnormality that needed to be investigated, whether it's additional imaging or a biopsy, we wouldn't be screening. So that was what I told myself after I got a grip the first with the first set of abnormalities and phone calls or alerts. But then I realized, oh, this is continuing on. And no matter what from today, I think the take home message, just as you said, should be call to action. Go get your mammograms. If you haven't lately, go get checked out, check yourself, talk to your healthcare provider. I think you may have helped someone more than you know, Natalie, just by coming on the show and sharing your story. Thanks, Beth, for letting me share and for your questions, your curiosity about the whole experience. 
I will look forward to finding your podcast and listening along as well with everyone else and learning from you. And I appreciate what you've done. You're, you're a very strong person and I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. Have a great day. I really want to thank Natalie for coming on the show and sharing her very personal story. I hope you all can find out where to find her podcast, Breast Cancer Life, and learn something from what she has gone through and her ability to share. I appreciate your time. Have a great afternoon.